Good morning, Crossroads Ministries. We want to thank you for joining us here for our Sunday morning service. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, we want to thank you for tuning in. If you're not on the tour with us this morning, would you please stand as we worship, as we sing songs of praise. Here we go.
Church, here we go. I speak to the enemy. You can't have my family. We belong to the Lord. With heaven's authority, we take back our destiny. Justice flows like the ocean tide. 
have a seat. Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to be with you all. Welcome those joining us online, all of our guests. I want to say welcome on behalf of our church. We're thrilled that you're here. Please stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. On your way out, uh, we have a gift for you. We also would love to talk with you and connect with you. Um, So if you have any questions, all of our guests, please stop by the Welcome Center. And also, you can use the Connect cards in front of you. Anyone is able or willing to use those uh, or welcome to use those Connect cards in front of you. And you can put a prayer request on there. You can also ask questions if you would like to meet with a pastor, if you have anything that we can help you as you're growing in your walk with Christ. Because that's our mission. Our mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why... We're gathering, and it's all about Christ. And so, with that said, I want to share with you a few things that are coming up on our calendar. One is that our car cruise is uh, Tuesday, 5 to 8.30, up here in the parking lot. And then there's food in the gym that they're preparing, and uh, cook-to-order food. It's a great community on Tuesdays, 5 to 8.30. And then our church picnic is on August 13th at Palmer Park. And so, uh, please join us. We're, you're all invited. It's going to be right after the second service at Palmer Park over in Denora. And then our movie night is August 18th. We're going to be showing Super Mario Brothers. We're going to be adding kettle corn, fresh baked kettle or fresh made kettle corn to our uh, dollar concessions down on the field. So Super Mario Brothers, grab a chair, grab a blanket, come on out on August 18th, and we'll show the movie right at around dusk. So come on out. It's going to be a great time. Uh, church, giving um, is a form of worship. And so I want to say thank you for being faithful and giving into the Lord and worshiping Him uh, with your with your finances. And so you can give online through the mail or the offering boxes here in the church. Uh, but thank you for being faithful unto the Lord. Would you stand with me as we continue on this morning in worship? God has been good to us, and so we give back to Him. And there's all different ways that worship is. Worship is music. Worship is just thanking Him, being a heart of, heart of gratitude, and also giving. And so thank you for being uh, faithful unto the Lord. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here. 
we just want to praise you. We want to um, lift our voices. We want to calm our hearts. We want to just express how thankful we are that because of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we have life and purpose in him. Lord, be with us. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Illuminate what we should be taking away from the word this morning. God, each of us is coming here this morning from different situations, different trials, different joys, different uh, situations, God. But all of us need Jesus. So, Lord, that unites us. We need you. In your name we pray.
continue our series on exiles. This morning we're going to be continuing through the through First Peter chapter one. And as we jump into this this morning, I'm reminded there's a few words that you don't always put in the same sentence. Okay, there's a number of oxymorons they call them, right? Like I was thinking a few of them um, that we put these in the same sentence, but really, do they make sense? Is there such a thing as jumbo shrimp? Okay, you know. I can be shrimp and be jumbo. How about new antiques? All right? you see, I saw a sign one time that said new antiques. Um, virtual reality. You know, <laughs> how can it be reality if it's virtual, right? Icy hot. You know, that's the, as you, you well, yeah. I have to, have to deal with that, right? Peanut butter and jelly. Now, that's something that makes sense together, right? Peanut butter and jelly. That's only a common good fit. I remember years ago, the old commercial for Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, you know, Oh, you put your peanut butter in my chocolate. How dare you, right? And now it's like, how dare you not put peanut butter and chocolate together, right? Um, there's, uh, here's another oxymoron. How about hospital food? Hospital food. Is that such a thing as hospital food, right? Yeah. How about Microsoft Works? It, it just doesn't work half the time, right? And this morning as we're going to look here, we're going to look at this word rejoice and trials. And those two seem to be so polar opposite, but yet the Scripture puts them both in the same thought, in the same sentence. Rejoice and trials. Remember this church that he's writing to. This is the, he's writing to the church, to those that are followers of Christ, that are exiles. Uh, 1 Peter 1.1 says, to those who are the elect exiles. Some translations will put in the word foreigners there. Pilgrims, sojourners, we are exiles in this world. Heaven is our home, but this is not our home. And so here we are, we're living out in this land, and we're trying to live for God in a world that's not our home. And so these people here, they were physically, they had been scattered abroad because of Rome had, uh, had been burnt down by Nero. And uh, Nero tried to blame the Christians for what he had done. And so uh, he blames the Christians, this new movement of Christ followers, and they're scattered all through these providences. And as, as we see this this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 6 and read a little bit more about what he says about trials. You can only imagine the trials of running for your life, of being exiled and being in a, in a place that's not your home and, uh, and being blamed for the wrong. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you did not though you do not see him now, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He starts out in this little paragraph here. He says, in this you rejoice. And he's setting up talking about, um, verse 6 there, in this you rejoice. He's setting up talking about trials. Though you for a little have these trials... What is he talking about rejoicing in? In this you rejoice. Well, he had just given us in the three verses before that we studied last week. 
He gave us what to rejoice in. He said that you have a living hope. That you have an inheritance that comes from God. It's called heaven. And that that inheritance is secured by Jesus Christ, by the power of God himself. So he says, in this you rejoice. And many Christians look at trials and, and there's all kind of strange teachings out there about trials. But he doesn't tell us to go out and to rejoice because of your trial. He says, in this rejoice. Rejoice that you have a living hope. Rejoice that you have an inheritance. Everything that God has for you, he, it's, it's, it's secured by the power of God. So in that you are to trust. In that you rejoice. And he tells us a few things about trials here. And I want to share today the truth about trials. You know, there's a lot of false teaching in our world today. And one of the most prevalent false teaching out there is that if you follow God, if you become a Christ follower, that your life will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That you'll never have any more problems and that uh, as a Christ follower, there'll be no more pain. Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth according to what God's Word teaches. Um, that's called um, self-help is what that is. Uh, that's called, uh, I'm not sure what it is. It's not in the Bible. And I've heard people go on and on and on and tell me about how that they want to you know, just enjoy everything. And listen, God has given us so much. There is much more joy in the Christian life than there is pain. I'll, get, I'll give you that much. But let me tell you this. There will be trials. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you four truths about trials here this morning. Number one is that trials are diverse. Trials are diverse. Would you say that with me? Trials are diverse. Verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We have so many various trials. They are diverse. You know, um, somebody once said that there's so many trials. There's, there's many trials as we have colors. And I said, well, how many colors do we have? Let me tell you, if you go to pick out paint for your living room, you'll find out how many colors there are, right? Um, you know, I thought it was just Roy G. Biv, and we just mixed them all up, right? And uh, I'm colorblind, so that doesn't help me any. When uh, You know, if you've ever picked out paint for your living room, you know what a marital bliss that is, right? You get together, and you go down to Sherwin Williams, and you find, well, we want to paint it white. Well, there's 600 shades of white. It's amazing. There are 1,700 paint colors at Sherwin Williams. 1,700. And if they don't have the one that you want, you bring it, and they'll match it. So there's a lot of different colors, a lot of different shades. And let me tell you, the same is true with our trials. We have every shade of trial that you can imagine. We have every kind of trial. We, we, trial. we have small trials. We have huge trials, gigantic trials, things that, that, uh, that, that are short-term trials and things that are very long-term trials. I think of the trials of the church. I think of the people that are suffering in our church. And let me tell you, there's a lot of trials that our people are going through. Just last week, I shared with you that Phyllis Bickerton had passed away on Saturday and went to be with the Lord. I shared with you about Ron Berger had a heart attack and went into the hospital. And I'm hearing improvements on Ron Berger. We're hearing good, good things that are happening with him. He's in, in a rehab right now, um, trying to recover from the heart problem that he suffered uh, last week. Uh, we had those were two within within hours of each other. I got notice of that, and th so there's there's always going to be some sort of suffering. And then I will get when somebody will give me a call and say, "Hey, I need some prayer for I have a family problem," 
and they'll start talking about the family problem. And then there's, there's things happen between husbands and wives. There's things happen between parents and children. There's things happening with children. There's all kind of problems. We have a lot of trials that are happening in our world. Um, there's career trials. There's people dealing with relationship trials. And so in any given week, from, uh, from Monday to Monday, I kind of look at it and say, wow, sometimes I'll look back and I'll say, that was a week. That was a week. I'll never forget the week leading up to Easter this year. I had three funerals the week leading up to Easter on top of the 1,600 services we had here, right? It was a week, right? Why? Because we have trials and we suffer. And uh, you can categorize your trials into a couple main categories. Number one, you have physical trials. You know, our, there, as uh, we deal with the, this physical bodies, they are going to break down. And so we deal with this. You hear words like cancer, strokes, heart attacks, birth defects, joint problems, bone problems, skin conditions. And the list goes on and on and on and on the, of, of troubles and ailments that we have. Um, Job suffered. I want you to think about this. In the scriptures, we see people who suffered. Job, if you go read the book of Job, you'll see that he suffered. He suffered actually a skin condition. It was debilitating. It was a long-term skin condition. On top of all of his other suffering, he suffered a physical condition. Jesus went to the home of a man named Simon the leper. There was leprosy. We had people that, these were people that loved God, still still had to deal with these things. Uh, Paul had had what was called a thorn in the flesh. And many people try to figure out what was his thorn in the flesh. Most scholars believe it was a, an eye disease that was going on for a, a better part of his outer, uh, older life there. Um, there. There are chapters that were written in the Bible. We see a lot about health problems. We see a lot of people that have physical conditions that they, that they deal with. And so these are the trials of life. There's also emotional problems. You know, there's going to be times whenever our brains just don't function properly. Your mind is, uh, is part of your body. Your mind needs rest. Your mind needs a break sometimes. And sometimes it just gets overwhelming. David wrote this in Psalm chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it in my tears. Man, this is, this is David. He says, man, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. So listen, there's going to be times that we too are going to flood our, our bed with tears. There's going to be times that we're going to have emotional trauma. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the prophet, he did some pretty big things for God. He called down fire from heaven and it, and it lit up the altar and, and, and came down on an altar that was covered in water. And everybody said, man, this is the true and living God. And right after that, he runs from Jezebel. He runs from a woman. And this lady's chasing him, and he runs and hides. And so God has to take him, and he puts him in a cave and says, listen, I want you to get some rest. And God gave him rest, and God brought him food and made sure that he had uh, food and water and was taken care of, and he, he needed the time to rest. But you know what Elijah said in 1 Kings 19.4? He said, enough already. Take my life. Take away my life, Lord. I can't stand this. This is overwhelming. So he was dealing with an emotional trauma, and he found his answer was not in, hey, ending everything. He found his answer 
in Jesus Christ. That Jesus found his answer in God Almighty. When God came by and said, let me show you my presence. And he found the presence of God in the still, small quietness. He didn't find him in the lightning, didn't find him in the thunder. He found him in the whisper. And that's where God's taking us. Um, You know, even as dedicated believers, as followers of Jesus Christ today, we will struggle with emotional trauma. We will struggle with being physically worn out. And when we are physically worn out, that's whenever our brain tends to malfunction the most. Um, We need some space. There there has to be margin in your life. You know, if if you are living to to the very ragged edge all the time and you're just running nonstop, there's no room for you to go to go over because, man, you got to cut that back and got to give some margin. Your brain needs some rest. These are the trials of life. The great missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones, talked about a pastor one time that was preparing a 10-part sermon series called How to Avoid a Nervous Breakdown. Do you know what happened to that pastor by the end of the 10 weeks, before the 10 weeks were up? He had a nervous breakdown. Uh, listen, this can happen to anybody. And so these are the trials of life that we face. So sometimes we face emotional and mental trauma. Sometimes we're facing spiritual trauma. So there's physical, there's emotional, and then there's the spiritual trauma. You know, we are in a, a battle. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against unseen things, against the spiritual forces, the wickedness. And so in your life, you're going to face this sometimes. Sometimes it's just unconfessed sin. You know, uh, unconfessed sin will plague you. You, you. you have this provision by God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what do you do whenever you have a sin issue? You confess it before God. And then you confess it with the one that you've hurt, the one that you've injured, if anybody else is involved. As public is the sin, as public the confession. So you confess before God, and then if you've injured somebody, you've hurt somebody, you come and you deal with that. And then we are clear, and we we continue on, and God takes that burden off of you. We live in a world today where everybody wants to go and blame everything on the physical. Let's go and just... uh, Let's just go search and get the next whatever is going to cure me. In the meantime, it could be spiritual. It could be unconfessed sin that needs to be dealt with. It could also be that you're having doubts about God. Maybe you had an expectation on God. You said, I'm following God, and why didn't this happen in my life? And so you have this expectation on God, and it, it, it just didn't meet. Life didn't match up. You know, this happened in the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 11, we see that uh, John the Baptist was actually in jail. He's in prison. And now, remember, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognized who John was. And then he goes out and he baptizes. uh, He recognized who Jesus is. Then he baptizes Jesus. And, uh, and he had declared him to be the Messiah. Remember, John was the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. Well, while John is in jail and life didn't match up, look what he sends. He sends this note via the disciples to Jesus. And he says to him, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? 
Now this is John the Baptist who had declared greatly that this is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when life's expectations, whenever he had an expectation and it just didn't come up, he sends us out. And what does Jesus do? If you continue reading, it's really powerful. Jesus sends them back. He sends a message via his disciples. He says, you tell John what's going on in the ministry. You tell them that the blind have been made to see, the lame have been made to walk. You tell him that not only have the blind been made to see, but also the lepers have been cleansed and they have been healed. They have been forgiven. The, uh, he goes on and on and on. He talks about the poor have heard the gospel. He says, you give that to John. And John would know that because the Old Testament had prophesied that this is who the Messiah would be. And so it says, listen, you give this good news to John because the gospel is still being preached. The good news is being preached. And so, folks, the first truth about, about uh, our trials is that they are various. They are diverse. Number two, trials are painful and cause grief in your notes this morning. Trials are painful and cause grief. Um, there's nothing to uh, hide about a trial. A trial will cause us grief. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You have been grieved. That, That word grieve carries this idea of heavy weight. You know, when you're carrying grief, there's a heavy weight on your soul. And that heavy weight is overwhelming sometimes. That heavy weight creates a lot of tears. And, and folks, I want to encourage you to understand that grief is a normal and healthy human expression. When you are going through grief, sometimes we don't know how to navigate it, but it's okay to cry. Men, it's okay to cry. When you are, when you are dealing with grief, it's okay for anybody to cry. Somebody once said that tears are the blood of the soul. And so it's okay for us to cry because there's something happening inside of our heart, emotionally, uh, mentally. These things are, are pain. So, you know, I'm thankful today that I don't have to live with a Colgate smile. You remember the old Colgate smile commercial? Yeah. I don't have to live with a Colgate smile. I don't have to fake it. You know, I often tell you that Christians, Christians ought to be the happiest people around, and we really are. Um, even with our trials, we are the happiest people around because the world has trials and there's no hope. We have a living hope. Amen? Amen. With, yeah, let's thank God for our living hope this morning. Amen? Without that, without our living hope, we have no, there's no future. We have hope. The world has no hope. We have this grand future. We have this hope. And he says that you have been grieved. So in the midst of our grief, we still have hope. Jeremiah said this about his pain. Jeremiah, he says, Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Why is this happening to my heart and soul? Solomon said there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to laugh and a time to cry. When we are in pain, when we're grieving, when you're going through a trial, folks, it's okay to cry. Do you know that in the Bible they had what was called a grieving period? And you read this in the Old Testament. They would put on sackcloth and ashes. Uh, when you were grieving, you're going through a grieving time. You would let the whole world know that you're grieving by putting on this burlap type of bag and a, uh, 
and ashes on you so that people would know, hey, I'm in my period of grieving. And quite often it would last 30 days. Some would last longer. Uh, the Egyptians, they had a period of 70 days of grief. In America, we're not too good at that. We kind of try high grief. We kind of sweep it off. We say, well, you had the funeral, now move on. Folks, it takes time. You have to grieve. And I want you to work through the grief. I want to encourage you, as a believer, because you have grief, you are not bad. You are a human follower of Jesus Christ. And that grief tells us that you have something real going on. See, because when you're, when you're dealing with a trial, whether it's the loss of somebody or the loss of your health, the loss of income, loss of any of these things, when you're dealing with this trial, it is okay to grieve. And we work through our grief. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you're struggling with grief. I want to encourage you to get other believers around you and work through that grief. Because there are different things in our life that will cause grief. Um, just change in general causes grief. I've noticed that. I, as, as I age, I'm, I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, it, it, things just aren't the way they used to be. Nothing is the way it was 10 years ago. Nothing about my world is the way it was 10 years ago. So we struggle with change even sometimes. And even the, the grief of this change, we've got, we've got to deal with this. So if you're dealing with the loss, let me tell you, as a Christ follower, you have living hope. Pain with living hope. A non-Christ follower has pain, no hope, hopeless. So Peter is coming here and he's saying, listen, you guys are spread all over the place. You've got to understand these things about trials. He tells us also that trials are sometimes necessary. Did you say that with me? Trials are at times necessary. Now, that's, uh, that's not what you want to hear this morning, right? Hey, I went to church and learned that uh, trials are needed. How can trials be needed? Look what he says there. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How can a trial be helpful? How can a trial be helpful? Philip, Philip Yancey said this. He said this about Christians in pain. He says, if you pinned... Ten Christians, most Christians, against the wall in the dark in a secret moment. Many Christians would probably admit that pain was God's one mistake. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a much better way of coping with the world's dangers. Now, that's Philip Yancey's take on how we deal with pain. The reality is we struggle with this pain. How can it be needed? First Peter 3.17, if you jump ahead a few chapters, you'll see he... Peter says, for it is better to suffer for doing good than, uh, if, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we can see here that suffering can be part of God's will. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. First Peter 4.19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Man, while you're suffering, entrust your soul to the living hope, to the faithful creator, and continue to live for God. You see, how can, how can this be? How can this happen? Well, God is our Father. And a Father always knows best. 
A father knows what he can bring into the life of the child. A father knows how to help that child. And so, you know, I, I was talking a while back with one of our parents in the church, and they were talking about their kids and how that they needed to encourage their kids and how to deal with, uh, how to deal with failure because failure is a necessary part of life. And so, you know, we live in a world where everybody gets a trophy, no matter if you, you know, play it or not. I, I came from the world where we learned about failure pretty quickly. I was, uh, I failed, <laughs> okay? I, I was out there, and as I was uh, on the baseball team, I'll never forget as a kid, they put me out there, and, uh, you know, I couldn't, couldn't play very well. So now you have to rotate everybody. Everybody gets even amount of innings and this and that. Well, whenever I grew up, you didn't get that. I got to watch many games from the bench. I would get in a half inning if we were ahead by 10. <laughs> I'm just telling you how it went. And I played one whole year of baseball that way, and that was it, right? Today, the world's a little bit different. I learned about failure. Uh, some parents say, I need to help my kids understand this, even though the world around us doesn't understand it. God has to help us. Sometimes by placing a trial in your life. Now there's another one of those sentences. God helps me by placing a trial in my life. How does God do that? Well, look what David said here. He said, before I was afflicted, Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Now when my kids were little, we had great neighbors across the street. Uh, Norma and Paz Wardle. They were like another set of grandparents to my kids. But I live on Norman Avenue, and it's a little bit busy. And so, you know, most of the time, there's not a car. But when the cars come, they come flying up there. They run that stop sign. It's all kind of fun stuff. So my kids would like to go over and go see Mrs. Wardle, Mr. and Mrs. Wardle. They'd go over and see Mr. and Mrs. Wardle across the street. They love running over to there. Well, what would I have to do? I had to teach my kids, you don't run across the street without looking both ways. Left, right, left. You look to the left, because the car could be coming down here. You look to the right, because it's on the other side. Then you look to the left again before you go across. Let me tell you, there were many times I had to yank an arm say no. There were many times I yelled Many times I said, if you do that ever again, you'll be stuck in this house for the rest of your life. Okay? Why? Why? Because you had to step in because I could see the danger that my children could not. All they could see was Mr. and Mrs. Wardle, and they got, they got candy for them. And they're going to play cards over there. And they're going to have fun across the street. But there's a danger of cars that could run those children over, and Dad knows best. And Dad says, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to not let that happen. As a matter of fact, I'm going to inflict a little bit of pain so that they'll never forget that. And to this day, those kids look left, right, and left. And hopefully they do that whenever they pull out of the driveway on the Route 88. Left, right. You know how that got ingrained in my head? Somebody got to me. Left, right, left. Somebody who couldn't see what, who could see what I couldn't see. You see, David says here, before I had your discipline, 
I want to stray. Now I keep your word. C.S. Lewis said that pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of the soul. When we have pain, you begin to realize what's real and what's not. Pain humbles us. Man, when you're going through pain, a painful situation, it humbles you. The Apostle Paul, he said he had a thorn in the flesh. And now he glories in his weakness because in his weakness, he is made strong. The power of Christ is made strong through that weakness. If you go into 2 Corinthians 12 and read the verses before Paul says that, Paul says that I had been given revelations. And there's like three revelations, and one of them, it looks like God took him into heaven and let him see things. He says into the heavenlies. And so God allowed him to see things. And when he is back to the ministry, you know what? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And most scholars believe that that thorn in the flesh was a visual problem. God let him see great things. But God also gave him great trials. And in the midst of that great trial, God gave Paul one of the greatest ministries that anybody's ever had outside of Jesus himself. Not... It's not happy-go-lucky. It's not healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is trials with great glory in the end. You know, trials can strengthen us. How are they needful? They can strengthen us. How are they necessary? They can strengthen us. James said that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, God will test our faith. And so you say, well, why does he test our faith? Don't think of testing like God's picking on you. Think of it more like this. God is revealing something. Because as you look in the scriptures here, you will find out that you will not have any test of faith that will not fit you to be a blessing. God will not allow things into your life that he can't turn into glory for his good, that he can't change and transform. As a matter of fact, trials, don't think of the testing as picking. Think of it as revealing True trials will test, will reveal the genuineness of my faith. Would you say that with me? Trials reveal genuineness of my faith. He says in the verse there, verse 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glo- praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you have a trial, do you know what it does? It reveals what kind of faith you have. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. You think about heaven? We all trust in Christ for heaven. But when we have a trial, can I trust him for today? Can I trust him to get me through the long-term trial? Can I trust him now? See, when God's testing us, it reveals my faith. And Jesus gave a whole, a whole parable on faith. He said about the parable of the sower. It's the seed. And he plants the seed. And the seed always grows, but sometimes the seed grows and it gets choked out. By weeds. Sometimes the seed gets burned out by the sun. 
And that's what happens with some people with trials. But there are many that the seed grows and grows and grows when the sun hits it because God is growing you and your faith is growing and you become strong. So that's what happens with trials. We become, our genuine faith gets revealed. Notice he says there in verse 7, more precious than gold that that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that the trials will refine us. They absolutely do. Trials refine us. Um, I want you to think about, he's using the, this idea of the, the goldsmith, the ancient goldsmith. If you took gold to a goldsmith and he wanted to find out, is, uh, is this really, you know, do you have real, real gold? He would take the gold and he would put it under the fire and he would melt it down and the, all the impurities would be burned off and then he'd get the real gold. This next picture that I'm going to put up there reminds me of my life sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one going through the trial. And why me? And why is this happening so much to me? What is going on in my heart and in my soul right now? Because I'm dealing with this pain that I really don't want to deal with. And in the meantime, the goldsmith is applying the heat. And if you study a little bit about the ancient goldsmith, and I've read this multiple places, that as... they would heat that up. As they would heat the gold up, he would keep applying the heat, keep heating it, till the goldsmith would see his own reflection in the gold. The scriptures tell us that we are to be images of Jesus Christ. You know what God is doing with the heat in your life? He's going to keep the heat on till he sees his reflection in your face. That's what he's doing. And you say, but I didn't do anything wrong. No. God's refining you. He's making you stronger. He's allowing all this to come out. He's getting out the impurity so that he can see his reflection in you. That's what God's doing in trials. As we close this morning, I'm reminded of a young woman who went to her mother one day. And she said, Mom, the trials of life are overwhelming. I'm not sure I can handle this. And, you know, when you say that to a mom, that really gets, really gets her a little bit alarmed. So the mom said, okay, come on into the kitchen. And she took her daughter in, who was really struggling with the trials and the emotional trauma that she had been through. She put on three pots of water on the stove. Then she came back into the first pot. She put carrots into that water and... The water's boiling now. She applies heat. The water's boiling. She puts carrots in there. And the second one, she took raw uh, eggs, and she took the egg and just put them inside of, that, inside of that pot. And into the third pot, she comes along, and she puts coffee beans. And so she boils them all for about 20 minutes. Then she takes it over, and she comes over, and she, she takes the the carrots and she puts them on the plate she says now I want you to touch that and she goes and she touches it and she goes oh it's kind of gross it's all mushy and she takes the eggs on the plate and she says here I want you to I want you to I want you to open that egg so she cracks the egg the egg's all hard and all stiff it was once liquid but now it's all hard and all stiff she peels it and then she says now I want you to drink this coffee and she took the coffee and she drank the coffee she said that actually smells so good and it tastes so good 
And then the mother said to the daughter, which one are you going to be? She says, what do you mean, Mom? What do you mean, which one am I going to be? She said, well, those carrots, when we put them in, they were hard. And under the same heat as all three pots, those carrots came out mush. You're just going to surrender in the middle of your trials and just become mush and defeated. She said, look at the egg. That egg, when we put it in, it was, it was liquid. But when you pulled that out, you, you, you saw a very hard, stiff shell, and you, you cracked it open. Are, are you going to become people that, that, have, uh, that, that have had bad experiences, and you're going to get stiff, and you're going to keep people at arm's way, and you're going to be hard about life? Or she said, are you going to be like the coffee? Those coffee beans were the only one that affected everything in the pot. Those coffee went under the same heat and came out with a wonderful aroma that everybody could smell. And that coffee, you drank it and you yourself told me it was smooth and it was sweet. What are you going to be like? And so I want to ask you today, with the trials of life that we face, what are you going to be like? Are you going to be, are you going to be just run over by this? You have a living hope. Are you going to be just the, the eggshell and just become hard and don't open up to any anybody anymore? Become so stiff and just arm's length away from anybody? And just become hard about life. This is what happens sometimes. Are you going to be like those coffee beans? Let me tell you. There's nobody exempt from pain. There's nobody exempt from suffering. We will all be under the fire. And I have an option. Am I going to make everybody in my pot be glad I'm there? Am I going to make everybody in the pot smell the wonderful aroma? Am I going to make everybody in my pot enjoy the sweetness of what God is doing in my life? And those are our options this morning. Rejoice in this. You have a living hope. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, with nobody looking around, if you've not yet opened your heart to Jesus Christ, that's where this all begins. You can only start there. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin, and He rose again the third day. And He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from the punishment of their sin. So today I want to invite you to trust Jesus. Start right there. None of this will make sense until you start there. You have to start with Jesus. He died for you and he rose again. And he says, if you'll just give me your trust, give me your heart and soul, I'll make you a new creature. I'll make all things new in your life. I will begin the work and I will complete it. I'll be faithful to complete it. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you. Would you just pray to the Lord and pray something like this? Dear Jesus, I come before you, Lord, and I need you. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose again the third day. And God, I invite you into my heart and my soul right now. I long for this relationship with you. And for others in this room this morning, maybe you've been looking through life. You've looked at the trials. Maybe you've become hard. 
you're afraid to open up. You're afraid to develop a friend. You're afraid to develop anything good in your life because so much bad has happened. Maybe you've just been run over and you've given up. I want to encourage you today. Rejoice in this, this living hope that though we have trials, though we experience physical, emotional, and spiritual trials, God is with us and we are already on the victory side. God has given us the victory in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you that while it's okay to grieve, to rejoice in the living hope. Father God, we come before you, and I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Powerful words that you instructed Peter to give to these exiles. God, thank you, for we are exiles in a world that is uh, not our own. We are citizens of heaven, and we thank you for what you're going to do in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and rejoice as we sing our closing song and uh, worship the Lord. Lord, one more time this morning. It was great to worship with you here this morning at Crossroads. Have a great and wonderful week.